Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. According to a 2018 U.S. Census Bureau report, 19.5 million children, more than one in four, live without a father in the home. These kids are 47% more likely to live in poverty. And a Psychology Today article by Dr. Ditta M. Oliker states that children who have an involved father are more likely to be emotionally secure and have better social connections. Specifically, boys have fewer behavioral problems and girls are less likely to engage in risky sexual behavior when they have consistent contact and a sense of closeness with their dad. Dr. Olaker goes on to say, quote, children with involved caring fathers also have better educational outcomes. The influence of a father's involvement extends into adolescence and young adulthood. Numerous studies find that an active and nurturing style of fathering is associated with better verbal skills, intellectual functioning, and academic achievement among adolescents. Also, quote, having a positive male role model helps an adolescent boy develop positive gender role characteristics, and adolescent girls are more likely to form positive opinions of men and are better able to relate to them when parented by an involved father. End quote. According to Dr. Oliker and many other psychologists, fathers matter as much as mothers. And that's a reality that has been downplayed in the literature. For many years, developmental psychologists have focused on mothers as the key primary caregiver for children's upbringing. And yes, mothers absolutely matter. But perhaps we've been, by focusing on mothers so much, We've left fathers by the wayside. And what has that done to children? And to fathers trying to figure out their role and their place in their children's lives. And to the father role in society at large. To further explore the unique and important role fathers play in their children's lives and in society, I've invited Emily Hibbard, producer of The Honor Project, to the program. Here's a little bit more about Emily. Emily Hibbard holds a master's in public administration from California State University, Northridge. She's the author of the Starting Your Nonprofit book series. And she recently served as the youngest board member to sit on the Studio City Neighborhood Council, Los Angeles County. In 2012, Emily founded Idle Tuesdays Recording Studio. She's a member of the Recording Academy Los Angeles chapter and the writer, director, and producer of the Honor Project documentary. Emily, welcome to the program. Karen, thanks so much for having me. So I love this topic, and it's one that I think is a conversation that needs to be had more frequently in our culture today for a myriad reasons that we will get into. But why don't you just let the listeners know right off the bat, what prompted you to decide to create a documentary about fathers as a young woman? What was it about fatherhood that intrigued you and 
that made you think, you know, this information needs to be out there? Probably my own dad had a huge role to play in that. God bless him. He is definitely one of those man's man. And he had three daughters. So (laughs) just had a really great dad who learned to navigate girls and women uh, really well. And that always stood out to me. Also, I've been around really wonderful men my entire life. And also for the last 15 years, I've been working with a unique population of people. Uh, I live in the Los Angeles area and I've been working with women in and transitioning out of the commercial sex industry. So primarily porn um, and a lot of strippers. And they all have one thing in common. They have really bad relationships with their own dads. And I thought the connection between that was interesting. And I'm sure like a lot of us, we've, you know, we hear horror stories about bad dads and the effects of that. And so what I wanted to do with Honor Project Documentary is highlight 20 really great dads here in the Los Angeles area and really just shine some light on here's some men who who are doing it well. And I thought those stories need to be need to be said. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. My father also was a huge, huge force in my life, all for good. Absolutely the stereotypical father that expects a lot which I think is great as a Mm. developmental psychologist. We need to have high expectations for children, but also had so much warmth and so much love. And it does trouble me that at times in this culture that men are oftentimes suspect. It's almost assumed that a dad is a bad dad, or it's almost Mm. assumed that, well, you know how men are. And men are getting vilified in a way that is actually pretty remarkable. Yeah, uh, we interviewed all of these guys for at least an hour each. And it was interesting because when we interviewed these guys, I could ask them a question and see in their face if they knew, oh, I'm not supposed to answer this one. Particularly when I asked all the guys to describe their definition of masculinity. Now, I have nothing in mind when I'm asking this. This is an open question. And (laughs) they all said, "Um, I'm not supposed to answer that. They knew culturally that the pressure was to to stand back from that and let women define masculinity versus the guy say, hey, here's my definition. They were really hesitant in giving their definition of masculinity as men. Wow. And that's that speaks to a culture that wants to silence often. And that's an entirely different conversation, but related. <laughs> and it concerns me because I do believe that toxic masculinity is a huge problem. I also believe that we have now vilified men to a degree that masculinity in general is considered toxic when it's not. Not all forms of masculinity are toxic. And as a matter of fact, I'm thankful that my dad was very masculine and that my brothers are and that my husband is because there is a role for masculinity in the family that is a powerful force of good and of demonstrating protection and caretaking and nurturing from a male vantage point because mothers and fathers don't nurture the same. When I used to teach, I was a professor for 10 years. I taught for five years at Chicago State University, which is in the South Side of Chicago, a very urban environment. Most of the students were coming from very, very rough neighborhoods, economic conditions that I hard to to fathom. Oftentimes the kids were first generation college students and many times their family environment consisted of a single mother. And when I would teach developmental courses and talk about parenting and then I would speak to fatherhood and 
talk about the research that shows the importance of a father in the home and what happens, as you noted, that when the father isn't there, not always, but oftentimes we have a trajectory of development that is very complicated and oftentimes wrought with going into an industry that most people don't want their daughter to go into. I mean, let's just be honest, right? No one's like, yeah, hope my daughter becomes a stripper, right? And there's so much Mm -hmm. pain and drug abuse associated with that. And again, that's a dicey topic because some people want to say that stripping is very empowered for women. And again, (laughs) I digress. But when (laughs) when I would talk about the importance of fathers, I would see some students bristle because they didn't have fathers in their home. And they felt that if I would recognize and talk about the importance of fathers, it was somehow minimizing what their mother had done as a single mom. And that was not my intention. And I remember one time very clearly a student was doing a class presentation and she's talking about fathers. And she was giving all the statistics and the research on the importance of fathers. And all these students raised their hand. They said, well, my mom raised me, but look at I'm in college mm-hmm. and I'm doing great. And you can't say that the outcomes aren't always good. And finally, after this, the student was getting called out on her, what she was presenting was the psych research. I mean, it wasn't just her opinion. And I stood up and I said, you know, please know that when we look at the research, we're not saying that single moms haven't done a good job. Your single moms obviously did wonderfully because here you are mm-hmm. in college getting your education. So this is not to take away from single moms. And I brought it home and I made it real personal. And there were a couple of boys in the class and I said, look over there at Robert. You know, Robert has children. And if you're saying that fathers don't matter, then you're looking at Robert's face and saying, you don't have any effect Mm -hmm. on your children. Right. I said, do you guys really want to say that to Robert right now? And Robert's like, I think I matter to my kids. (laughs) You know? So it's like, we had to bring it to the personal level because when it's out there in theory, people really have a lot of energy about this topic. Yeah. The types of guys that we had in our documentary were diverse. And I don't mean diverse in just skin color, but yes, we had black guys, white guys, Asian guys, Hispanic guys, all of which are personal friends of mine. It's LA. Everyone lives here. But we also had dads who did not grow up with a dad themselves. And so listening to them respond to some of our questioning was really unique because there was an impact. There was a mark. There was an impression that was left. It left a mark in a way that the guys that grew up with the dad, it was different for them. All of the guys had this thing in common. They had to forgive their dads Mm -hmm. to some degree for something. Uh, The guys that grew up without a dad in the home had to forgive their dads for abandoning them. Uh, A lot of the guys that grew up with a dad in the home had to forgive their dads for other things. And so forgiveness was a topic that we found that across the board, every guy in our documentary had to learn how to journey and navigate. And John Finch calls that the father wound. And he tragically lost his father because his father took his own life when John was just 11. And it was years before John really reconciled that a lot of what was playing out in his adult life from this drive to be successful, money over everything, or his alcohol abuse, he finally linked that back to the father wound. And I just get a little frustrated when women, believing that we're empowering each other, want to cut men off from the conversation. That's not empowering anyone to to think that, that men don't matter. Watching the documentary When you ask those questions, it's a very raw experience to watch these men. I mean, these guys are like 45 years old and you still ask them to talk about their dad when they were eight and you can see the emotion just very visibly. So I just am thankful that you are talking about this because I think that the solution to 
frustrations with masculinity in our culture from the Me Too movement to uh, toxic masculinity, I don't think that the the solution is to just write men off, vilify them, and think that women are somehow going to handle all this stuff on our own. We need men to be involved. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I believe that truth is the best disinfectant for a lot of situations. So the truth is that men are important. Fathers are important. And a lot of people just don't know what that looks like. So my heart with the documentary is to show people who may have never seen, hey, here's what a good guy looks like, to show them, hey, these kind of guys exist, even if they've never seen that in their own lives modeled. Yeah. And a lot of, of what I do on this podcast, I cover, I mean, it's love and life, so I cover it all. But I do <laughs> focus a lot on relationships because a lot of the folks in my Instagram community, based on the book I wrote, a lot of women are out there dating. And so there's a lot of women looking for support in the dating realm, which is crazy. It's it's like a jungle out there. But uh, <laughs> but. But yeah, I mean, this kind of presentation of men, of good guys out there who do want to commit and they do want to be good husbands and they do want to be good fathers, that is so inspiring for women because a lot of times the women I'm interacting with, they are so demoralized and they feel that guys are only out to just Netflix and chill and, and no one really wants to to have that really committed and loving and thriving relationship. So even you... I knew your intention was more about fatherhood per se, but even that kind of demonstration and representation of men and masculinity is important for women on the dating scene. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I've seen is, so the documentary came out last Father's Day. Um, so it's almost coming up on about one year almost. And I never expected it to have the impact that it did because obviously the topic is fatherhood. We followed around 20 guys that live in the Los Angeles area. Okay, so that, that's sort of ring fenced. But what we found is that every single person that watches this documentary, old, young, whatever, whatever their situation is, whoever they are, it affects them in a unique way in that they're watching the documentary. They're watching these men through different eyes. They're watching this documentary through their, like you said, some of the guys in your, in your class, right? They didn't have, they didn't have dads. Like, Hey, I'm doing fine. Look at, I'm in, I'm in college. They're, they're approaching that subject through their lens, through their experience. And everyone's experience is so different that here, this documentary is 60 minutes long. And yet every person is experiencing it differently to the, to the extent that uh, after our screenings, we started to have, you know, we'll break up into groups and talk about it because it's affecting people far more than, you know, you go to the movies, you watch a two hour movie and then, you, you, you know, you go out for ice cream or something afterwards. This this is really pushing a lot of buttons with a lot of people on a deeper level that we really ne we never imagined. Oh, I absolutely believe it. Like I said, from the conversations I'm having every day with my Instagram community to my my background as a developmental psychologist to, like I said, the experiences I've had, I've, I did a lot of work in the inner city, which sadly, because of the poverty, tends to correlate with fractured homes. Mm -hmm. And and that crosses race. So this is not a racial comment whatsoever. This is just statistically speaking. And so because I've done a lot of work in the inner city and where you see the poverty that's at work and having its impact, I, again, I firsthand have, have had these conversations and again, as someone who had such a strong and just really profound relationship with my father, it just makes me so sad. <laughs> it really yeah. does. Like I was, yeah. I was emotional watching the documentary because I'd had such a great dad. 
And so to see some of the folks who didn't, and these guys, especially so inspired by the ones who were like, I didn't have a dad, but man, I joined this, it was LA dad's group or whatever the name of it was. Yes. And and they're like, I didn't have a dad, but darn it, I'm going to do it right with my kids. That was so inspiring. Yeah, just regular guys that that organization started in New York City because there was nothing for dads. There was no social group for dad, like literally nothing. So this group of guys decided, hey, okay, we'll create a dad group. And now there's over, I think, 30, 40 chapters throughout the country. And all it is is men who are dads who say being a being a parent, being a father is important to me and I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up. I'm going to I'm going to hear from other guys. I'm going to hear from other men. How do I deal with this? How do I deal with that? That came up. What did you do? What did that look like? Have you ever, you know, dealt with something like this? And so connecting with those guys was was really cool because that's the thing they are most passionate about right now is being a great dad, which is a really which is just totally pushes back on a lot of these preconceived notions that men you know, father of children, then they're, they have no ability to, to parent, which is ridiculous. So I really like, I really like how we show them in the documentary. If you're single, you've likely heard it all. You've been told you're too picky. You should just get on another dating app or that you're not trying hard enough. And you're probably really tired of hearing those messages because I know I was when I was single for all those years, which is why I felt the need to bring another perspective to the dating relationship self-help genre. Single is the new black, don't wear white till it's right, is my take on what the single life can be if we refuse to settle, we know that we're worth an extraordinary relationship, and we refuse to fall prey to single shaming. Trust me, it is a different self-help book. Check it out on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or on my website, www.drkarin.me, D-R-K-A-R-I-N.me. One of the things that struck me, and I think it's it's bears mentioning here, a couple of the gentlemen talked about how when they were reflecting on their own father, and I'm not, I can't remember if they actually talked about it with their own fathering, but uh, what they experienced. They talked about, you know, dads love differently. They show love differently. And they talked about providing, like looking back, they're like, you know, my dad went out and worked. There was one man, his dad worked out something outdoors in Bakersfield, which is like the oh, desert. Brock Taney. Yes, he's yeah. an author, researcher. Yes, Brock Taney. Yeah, he talked about my dad was out there slaving away under the hot Bakersfield sun. And as a kid, you don't fully appreciate Then you're older and you're like, that was love. He was providing for the family and he was working so hard. So just, I like this, mm-hmm. uh, this conversation about love doesn't have to look the same from every dad to every dad or from every person to every person, of course. But I, I love this appreciation of the father role. And it is different from the mother role and it should be. Yeah. And I think we show that too with, you know, like I said, we have 20 completely different, different uh, dads. We have everyone, you know, from baby boomers who are up there, you know, in in their seventies down to guys. I think the youngest guys were maybe in their like mid late thirties. But love does look differently. It looks differently culturally, looks differently uh, depending on where they live, where they grew up, um, things like that. And we show that and show, Hey, here, you know, it's like an ice cream shop, right? If you like ice cream, you have lots of different types to choose from um, lots of different flavors. And same thing with dads. There's lots of Every dad is unique, like every mom is unique and different. We want to show that 
that's all wonderful. Here's how this guy does it. Here's how this guy does it. Here's how this guy does it. But but the point is that it's all wonderful. These guys, these guys, these dads are showing up. Yeah. And again, that is something that is sadly, sadly, sometimes just not appreciated. And another thing that struck me, there was another young man from the documentary and he didn't have a dad. And he talked about how, because he didn't have a dad in his home, that when he'd go over to his friend's house to stay the night and things, he was a little nervous around dads. He was afraid that dads were going to be harsh and that dad was going to go off. And and that he said that sadly, sometimes that was reinforced by the dads he saw. So again, his journey to fatherhood involved a lot of soul searching because he had to figure out these preconceived notions that had been sadly oftentimes reinforced. He had to figure out how to be a strong dad, but also loving. Yeah, that was Aaron White. And he grew up in a part of Los Angeles. We call it South Central. Uh, It sounds like it might be a similar part of town to what you, uh, what was it, South Chicago, a a more rough um, Mm -hmm. side of town. That's where he grew up. And I don't know if you caught this, but his dad lived about five, 10 minutes from him his whole life. And he saw the guy maybe once or twice. Um, so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't for a lack of trying, you know, to connect with his son. He just he just wasn't there. And one of the unique things about Aaron is that although he didn't grow up with a dad, he is they just had their second baby literally, I mean, a couple of weeks ago. Um, <laughs> but his thing was really, I'm gonna stop this cycle. When I get yeah. married, I, i'm I'm going to stay there for better, for worse. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna ask some older men, hey, you know, can you help me? Can you mentor me on this? And now what he's doing is he's mentoring a lot of the youth in that area who they themselves don't have fathers. And so he's filling a gap that he didn't have a dad, but instead of just letting that kind of roll down the road, he's being for he's being for others what what they don't have. And that to me really stands out because he has he has all the reasons in the world to play the victim card. He has all the reasons in the world to blame someone. He he has all the reasons in the world, you know, to play all of those stereotypical cards and he's not playing one. And instead he's breaking the cycle and he's he's changing the trajectory, not only for his life and his wife and his kids, but for his entire community. Again, so inspiring, so inspiring. And I love talking about or just making sure that folks like him are lifted up as examples because they should, because guess what? So many people have every good reason, as you said, to be playing the victim card. And it's tempting because it feels good to indulge in that, well, I didn't have, or this wasn't for me. And so this explains why I'm living this miserable life and I'm not going to succeed. I'm not. And that's to mm-hmm. me the, the most disempowering thing you can do. And what troubles me sometimes in my work when we want to recognize the struggles or the trauma that someone's endured, that is great. And we absolutely, as therapists, as psychologists, we need to empathize. We need to validate that. And then we need to support for the next step. Because if we wallow in that, even if we have every right to wallow, we go nowhere. We stay. That trauma continues to dominate us and continues to disempower us. And whoever traumatized us continues to have their influence on us, as opposed to breaking the cycle, like you said, and making a difference. And how beautiful, not only for his own kids, but he wants to be a leader in the community to provide that male role model, that male support for other kids who, like he, are currently, like he experienced, are currently experiencing that father void. 
Yeah. And that's one of the things I really have to acknowledge about the men in Honor Project documentary is that I never heard one excuse ever, ever. No, I didn't show up to their game because I ran out of gas. gas. Uh, No, I, you know, I wasn't able to be there because I was nothing. Literally, these guys are they're they're jumping through every hoop. They're, They're jumping over every hurdle. They're taking personal responsibility for all their actions, all their choices. They're taking responsibility for not only themselves, but their families. And so to interview a number of men and never to hear one excuse was I understand why these guys are impacting their families and their communities the way that they are, because what they're doing, they're doing it right. And and they're doing what it takes. And they're, they're figuring it out as they go, but not one excuse ever. It, it's, it still gets me. Oh, and are you able, I'm not sure what your distribution looks like or where you're taking the documentary, but it, just as you spoke to that point, I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be great For those young men, I don't know where you find them, if they're in high school or if they're maybe in, sadly, if they're in some juvenile center, are they able, those young men who are now 18 to, let's say, 30, who maybe didn't have dads around, if they could watch something like this, they could go, wait, that guy has my story. That guy lived, he lived Mm -hmm. my life. Like his dad Mm -hmm. was five minutes around the corner and didn't show up either, just like my dad. But look what he's doing. I think it would be such an inspiring role model opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and honestly, when we were first, you know, wrapping this up and finishing it, we were going to go kind of the traditional route, right? We were going to hit all the streaming platforms and Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, iTunes, you name it, right? Get it up there and streaming. But what we found is that like I mentioned earlier, this is impacting viewers more than we thought. And so instead of just throw this 60 minutes at them and let them try to sort it on their own, we really want to bring them into their own communities. Uh, For example, what we're doing is right now we're working with a lot of YMCAs in the Southern California area where it's they already have groups of young people in their community. And so what we're doing is we're introducing the documentary, we watch it, and then their leaders who are already in their lives, people they are these youth already have relationships with, then we're able to process. And so we're able to care for their hearts a little bit better than putting it up on iTunes and just letting someone watch that. So for now, that's that's what we're doing. Yeah, I think that's so wise that you're looking for that as one of the many, but probably one of the preferred ways to view it so that you can have a little context of conversation afterwards. And like you said, processing and really letting the impact of the documentary go deeper. Like you said, with young men who already have a relationship and then it just so many great talking points. You know, as as you were speaking, I thought, gosh, I was thinking about I've been doing a lot about beliefs on Instagram and and actually had some podcast episodes have talked about beliefs and how beliefs affect our thoughts and then our thoughts affect our feelings. And this is all very cognitive therapy. But I was thinking about beliefs, for example, like this documentary would be something great for a marriage counselor to play in a session and then help the couple because if they're having concerns about their marriage, it could have to do with masculinity and roles and what the woman experienced with her father viewing him as a young girl in his husband role as well. And then again, the young man, what 
maybe not young. <laughs> he could be older in marriage therapy. <laughs> but the man, like what's what's his notion about fatherhood? And then again, because that does relate to marriage as well. And you spoke to that briefly, but one of the things from family systems literature that we think about quite a bit in family therapy is that the marriage has to set the tone for the family. And I can't remember from the documentary if you had unmarried dads or if you kept it with intact family. But I think that's another piece that's really important to speak to. It's related, not directly related, but, well, I will say it's direct. <laughs> it is directly related because mm-hmm. that, that father role is an offshoot of the husband role. And that's all intertwined, but also so important to have that husband role be first and foremost, because, and I've heard it put this way, the number one job of a father is to love the mother of his children. So by virtue of him treating and cherishing, respecting his wife, the kids see that that's part of his fathering is to be a good husband. Yeah, that we had lots of different types of dads, uh, married dads, divorced dads, you name it. Um, What we tried to focus on just them as a dad, not necessarily the situation that they were in, although it was, you know, it, it varied. And it was interesting. Um, I think of what uh, one of the football coaches, Peter Kervitas said, he said, you know, growing up as boys were taught to be tough, don't cry, you know, tell yourself I'm strong. And he said, when, when, when you're in a relationship, you, you get married and, and you have a family, we have emotions, but culture still tells us be tough, don't cry, be strong. And he's like, the strength, our strength has to look different as husbands and fathers. It's not how much can we bench. It's not how much can we lift. It's not, it's not how physically strong we are. And he said that a lot of, a lot of guys, a lot of young, young husbands, young dads, they miss that that transition from, well, my definition of masculinity was external when I was younger. And now that I'm older, it's more internal because culture is still telling them, be tough, don't cry. And that doesn't work in, uh, in marriage. Dan invented it because I kept burning my tongue on my black coffee. And then we realized the perfecter could do so much more. It's the only way to brew coffee or tea and then immediately ice it for iced coffee or iced tea without watering down the flavor. It also brings bourbon to a perfect chill, again, without diluting it or bruising the flavor notes. But my favorite application, wine. The Perfector takes your room temperature red to the recommended low 60s in just 20 seconds. And as a bonus, the Perfector aerates your vintage as well. Check out all the Perfector's applications, including bringing white wine to its most flavorful temperature at drinkperfection.com. Love and Life listeners can use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 20% off your Perfector. I want to circle back to... When you asked men, because you spoke to masculinity just a second ago, when you asked men what it means to be masculine, how they were all nervous to respond. Oh, it was, they were like deer in headlights. They're shaking their heads, you know, like, Em, is, is, is the micro, is, is the camera still rolling? I, yeah. I don't think I'm supposed to answer this. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to answer this. They, all of them, 100% didn't want to step in that. And I took some coaxing. I said, let it rip. What, whatever you think. It's a documentary, right? It's all about you. I, I don't have an agenda here. Um, and interestingly, most of them had a similar response. I'm sort of what I, like what I was just saying. When they were younger, their definition of masculinity was more external. What do I look like? How big are my muscles? Am I perceived as strong? And as they were getting married and having kids, 
their definitions of masculinity changed and it was more internal. So you might have the, you know, these big guys, Malik Murray was in the documentary with his, you know, his daughter strapped on his chest and, you know, lifting weights in the gym. And he was sharing that, okay, yeah, I'm a big guy and it's my job. It's my duty to, to use my stature to protect my daughter who's on my chest. So their, their definitions of masculinity were less about themselves and more about how can I use this to provide for my wife, to protect my wife, to protect my children. It was about someone else, whereas in their youth, it was totally about themselves. That's a beautiful transition to highlight. And it, again, to see this masculinity as something that, yes, was self-serving as a young man, you know, strutting around town with your muscles bulging, mm-hmm, but then mm-hmm. to move to, hey, these muscles are here for a reason. Like now that mm-hmm. I'm a family man, I'm I, <laughs> these are here to protect and to provide. And that's the beautiful piece of masculinity. And like I was saying earlier, it, it saddens me that we've alienated men a lot and that they're scared to answer a question <laughs> that shouldn't be scary. Did you get any more, uh, did you sense anything? You know, the, the, the theme that I'm speaking to here is that I'm worried about our men because I value men and I see men's value in our culture, broadly speaking, being torn away. Did you sense that the men are feeling that or would you say that's evidenced by the fact that they were scared to talk about certain questions? Yeah, I I think wanting to dodge the def, you know, define masculinity for me question was spoke to that. And again, these these are the the creme de la creme. These guys are amazing, which is why I wanted to follow them around for this documentary. These aren't average Joes. So if so if these guys didn't want to, you know, address that masculinity question head on, I think that only reflects the rest of our culture who uh, maybe guys who are still caught up, you know, caught up in, in, uh, in who they are, their, their own identity. What were some of the other struggles and frustrations that the fathers spoke to? I think one of the things that stands out is none of the guys, (laughs) except for Malik Murray, the guy who was lifting weights with his daughter strapped on his chest, most, uh, all besides him thought, they approached fatherhood with reservations. Malik thought, yeah, I've got this, right? I'm married. I'm going to have a kid. Like, it's going to be fine. There's going to be some diapers. There's going to be some bottles. We're going to be sleepy, something like that. Okay, yeah, I'm good. And (laughs) everyone else was almost tiptoeing into fatherhood. They were really concerned. They did not know what to, what to expect. They, they didn't know their role. Do, do I push the stroller or does she push the stroller? Is that masculine? Is, wait, do I do that? Is, am I taking over? Wait, should I let her? Mm. How many diapers? Wait, I got to learn how to diapers. Okay, do I? They didn't know how to approach fatherhood. And that was a concern for them. Fortunately for these guys, they asked a lot of questions. They might not have had a dad. They might not have had male role models. They might not have had a lot of male mentors. But these guys proactively sought out older men. They sought out counsel. They sought out wisdom. And they applied that, which stood out to me because when you have such a, you know, you've got a group of guys, you're hearing the same thing that really got my attention that I don't know if I hear that so much with my mom friends that they're so hesitant of becoming moms, but dads, it was, they were hesitant. They were, you know, stepping into it. They want, they want to do the best that they can, but they didn't really know what they were doing. And I remember one man from the documentary, he said, it really still hadn't hit him, even though he had some kids. I'm not, I think they were maybe infants or toddlers because he was mentioning that he'd talked to some other dads and they said, 
I didn't really feel like a dad fully until the kid was about six, (laughs) you know, so like how long it takes to really go, wait, that's me now. I'm a dad. Instead of the first part of your life, you're looking around like that's a dad thing. There's dads over there. And now it's wait, I'm a dad. Yes, that was Matt Barnes. Matt went to Pepperdine University with both of my sisters. So I've known him for, I don't even know, 15, 20 years. Um, He is a great guy. And just recently, within the last last few years, got married to his, you know, longtime girlfriend and straight away had twins. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was maybe within one year that he got married and had twins and he was about 40 years old. So, yeah, that was a big adjustment for him. And, you know, he goes on to to share that his identity had had always been, yeah, you know, I'm a guy. Yeah, I, I do this and I do that. And, you know, here's my business and I drive this car. And then within one year, his life totally flips and he's a husband and then he's a father and he's trying to catch up with all that. Well, within one year after that, they ended up having another set of twins. So right now he oh. has two sets of twins. Oh he traded in that car that was really cool and sporty for a van. <laughs> yeah, like his did. life completely flipped on its head and he has four little kids under, what is it, two, three? Wow. I mean, tiny, but yeah, he had to really catch up on, okay, that's me. That's full on me. I've got four kids in a van. I'm dad. <laughs> and I just appreciate, as you spoke to earlier, looking for support, looking for a mentor, looking for just doing the research. It's just, it's kind of odd, you know, and people say this, I think it's from that movie Parenthood from a million years ago, the idea that, you know, you have to go and study up and get a license to drive, but there's really (laughs) no prerequisite in terms of studying or some certification that you need to get. I mean, unless you focus on, unless you're major psychology or sociology, you really don't even touch on any kind of relationship issues in undergrad or grad school. I mean, so the idea that we're just going to somehow be able to do this stellar job as a parent without availing ourselves of some resources is kind of funny, really. But it's it's encouraging to hear that that the men that you were interviewing were very open to, yeah, I'm going to get some help. I'm going to get some guidance. I want to look to the wisdom of those who've come before me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think for for women that it probably comes a little bit more naturally for us to be caring, to be nurturing. And for these guys, they shared that it's it's not as natural for them. And so it's a lot harder to to kind of, you know, to push through, to, to call that older guy who he's known, you know, for years and say that, you know, they're having a situation and maybe if he can get his thoughts on that. They all said that's incredibly, incredibly awkward and Again, I have to give it to them because they're they're not just sitting back and telling themselves, oh, I got this. I, I, yeah, I can figure it out on my own. They're really jumping into community and utilizing, uh, getting all the benefits of community and different ages and different cultures and different ethnicities and pulling that into um, into their life and their families. That is really very inspiring to know. It's so great connecting with all of you via the podcast, and I would love to meet you IRL. If your organization is looking for a speaker for your next event, check out my website, go to the speaking page, and see the content that I love to talk about. Just like on the podcast, in my speeches, I cover a wide array of topics grounded in psych research, of course. I'd love to meet you and share strategies for thriving in all realms of love and life with you and your organization. 
I cannot recommend Dr. Karen enough as your speaker at your event. As my keynote speaker, she completely set the tone of compassion, self-love, and authenticity that bled into everything we did for the rest of the event. She was incredibly prepared and present and went above and beyond when it came to sharing the event with her audience. Her knowledge, magnetic energy, and expertise while on stage is one thing. It will be everything you'd hope for and more for your audience. But her giving spirit and willingness to do more than simply show up when it's time to go on is icing on the cake. She walks her talk, and by the end of working with her, I was wishing she lived down the block from me for weekly meetups. For more information and to book me to speak at your next event, contact my producer, Tim May, Tim at loveandlifemedia.com. What is your main hope? I mean, a documentary, that is a big undertaking. What is really your hope when someone watches it? And, and what would you like the viewer to take away? I would love for people to watch the documentary and take a hard, you know, good, honest look at themselves and ask themselves, do I have any father wounds that need to be addressed? Whether they're in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, their 70s, it's never too late to address some kind of a heart wounding. And I would love for them to take one step in reconciling that relationship. For a lot of people, I'm finding it's forgiveness. It's forgiving their father for X, Y, and Z, whatever that is, to forgive them. And then I would also love to uh, love to see people really take this as a challenge and as an encouragement that they too can be the impactful father that their family and their community needs. Because all of these men are not just impacting their own families, they're impacting their community and they're impacting culture. And we're talking one dad at a time. So beautifully put and so profoundly important. Emily, I want to thank you so much for creating this documentary. I think it's really incredibly imperative, really, that we begin as a culture to have this conversation and to bring back a respect for fathers that I think is currently lacking. Thank you for creating the documentary and for joining me today. Where can listeners view the documentary? Where can they connect with you? If they have further questions, uh, let them know where to find you. Yeah, thank you, Karen, for just having me on and the opportunity to highlight some really wonderful men. If any of your listeners are interested, they can visit honorprojectmovie.com. Great. And are you on social media anywhere that they can follow you there? Yep. The the documentary, everything is Honor Project Doc, and they can also follow me at Emily Hibbard. And that's Hibbard, H-I-B-A-R-D. That's yep. it. Okay, great. Well, thanks again. Thank you, Karen. The love and life hack for this week is it benefits all of us to honor the great fathers out there as Emily did in the Honor Project. Thank you so much for joining us today. And as always, an extra thank you to those of you who subscribe to the podcast, who share it with friends, and who've rated and reviewed episodes. It means so much. If you'd like to be a part of the Love and Life family, please head over to loveandlifemedia.com and sign up for my newsletter. You'll be the first to know about upcoming exciting developments, and there are plenty coming our way. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson April, and until next time, make it a great week.
Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.